Hi everyone and welcome back to Getting There the Podcast with me, Brogan. Today I sit down with Resna Katun. Resna is a sexual abuse survivor, a domestic abuse survivor and a survivor in so many ways. I just want to give you a heads up as there is going to be some very sensitive information. Thank you. So, Resna. <laughs> here we are. I know, after all this time. Thank you for coming here today. Oh, thank you for having me, honestly. Um, I've got to say, so I've read your book mm-hmm. and um, what I do when I get a book and I find something interesting is I like fold the page or underline it. Oh. And I don't know if anyone can see this, but it looks like a scrapbook yeah. because I folded so much stuff. That, that is I a wouldn't... new book, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a new one. And um, <laughs> I just wanted to talk to you about mm-hmm. your journey Um in getting there and obviously yeah. all of it. I think where I would like to start, and it's like the conversations we've had off air and we've like yeah. really had a lot of synergies, like your childhood and Ooh. growing up in that religious culture yeah. and um, what, how this journey started for you. My God. So first I've got to explain my whole life from my childhood until I was 43, it's been all about abuse. So I've actually only been free of abuse since I was 43. So it's been about seven years. But my childhood, oh, my God. So I, because that generation was really different, so we had a lot of culture and religion in our childhood. But I think it was more to do with culture. And we had a very, very isolated upbringing because that time there weren't many Asians around either. So we had... Not to be rude, we had like a lot of racism. Yeah, yeah. No, I want you to be honest because yeah, there's a lot you write about yeah, in the books. We and if had, you don't mind using some of the honestly, language. Honestly, we are from my earliest memory of abuse is from the age of five. And my last memory of abuse is at the age of 43. So throughout that whole... Racist abuse, yeah. Racist abuse. Um, so where are your family originally from? And So my mum and dad are from Bangladesh. Yeah. Right. So when we moved first... Well, I was born in Bow. Okay. I love East London. Yeah. I would go back there. <laughs> uh, so I was born in Bow, But it was really... We lived in a council estate. It was really racist. So... My mum couldn't even open the door. Her face would get punched in by the white people. We Jesus. were the only Asian in like four blocks of council estate flats. I was the only person who used to be sent to go to the shops downstairs to get the milk, tea bag, sugar and stuff like that. And this is from the age of five. Because it wasn't safe for them. It wasn't safe for them. But I was, I don't know what happened to me. I used to say, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. But when I, as soon as I used to step downstairs, I used to get attacked by all the adults. And they literally used to hold me. There for like half an hour, 40 minutes, and it's constantly saying, you fucking packy. They used to spit on my face. They used to not let me go past. And li- I was so tolerant, honestly. I think that's where my tolerance comes from. I used to just stand there. And take I to, it. I take it. Because I was five, six. This happened until I was nine, ten. And I just used to stand there. And they used to be going on and on and on. And do you know what? I used to pray. I used to say, angels, you need to save me. Angels, you need to save me. And I used to say that, and the time used to go back. And I used to go back, and my mum used to say, why are you taking so long for? And I said, this happened, that happened. I was like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, just ignore them. That's what's going to be in our lives. Just ignore them. I mean, I remember there was times when we had no glass window left in our flat because they used to chuck stones, balls, everything. We were on the third floor. And every window we had cardboards because we didn't have no glass. Everything was... Were you scared? 
we were so scared. But you know what it is with us? Because there was quite a lot of us brothers and sisters. My mum had one child every year. We were like really close. We were like best friends. We were brothers and sisters. We had each other's back. So we used to sit down and we used to talk about things and we used to think, oh, one day this ain't going to happen. But my mum always used to say, no, it's always going to happen. It's always going to happen. But actually, I think it was when I was nine, something dramatic happened and there's so many Asian people started moving into that block. And that's when things changed. And what was it like at school for you then? Oh, my God. School was my escapism. I loved my school. Um, I wasn't very good at school. Um, I used to go to basically to daydream escaping my home because my home life was so bad because that's when I had sexual abuse. That's when I had all the emotional abuse, the mental abuse from my mum and dad, what I watched them, how, what they went through. So for me, school was my escapism. You would not see me get ready so fast to go to school. Literally, I used to go there and I used to fall asleep. I used to daydream. I used to sit in the toilet. It was like a playground for me. Safe space. It was my safe space. I love going to school. So you, Even I didn't do any work there. I didn't do any of my work. I didn't do no home, but I just loved going there because I escaped home. And what was home at that point then? For me, school was my home. No, no, no. My what was home, home life? Was, oh my God, my home life was really, really bad because from a very, very young age, my earliest memories, like I said, five, six, was sexual abuse from family members. Um, when I did mention it to my mum, she would like ignore me or she would say I'll bring shame to the family, something you shouldn't talk about. So it was like from a very young age, I was trained not to say nothing, to cover up abuse. So that happened a lot. Then I was, I went back home. I think um, I was six, seven. My dad took me there with my sister and he just left us there. And then we had, I had a lot of sexual abuse by cousins there. Um, the thing is they I mean, thinking about it now, we say our children are very advanced because of social media. But when I think about it, they were very advanced then. You know, sexual abuse from that time, from these young boys, um, you wouldn't think that that would happen then. So when you were talking about family members, were yeah. they older members? Or they were older members. I mean, if I count, honestly, I couldn't even count. If I count my fingers, they wouldn't even fit on my fingers. It would be more than 10. Family members? Family sexually, members. And from what age? Um, my earliest memory, like I said, is six. Five, six, yeah. And when you told your mum? What did you... I did tell my mum. My mum sort of like said, no, you can't say these things. That's your uncle. That's your cousin. That's wrong. And on top of that, she actually ignored it. Um, I think there was a time when she actually slapped me across the face. She goes, don't you dare talk about people like that. You're going to bring shame to the family. People are going to talk about you. And it's like, because I look different as well. I don't look like a typical Asian. And I went when I was school, I was bullied in school saying that I look like the Avengers lady. I don't know if you know the um, series Avengers. No. Them, they, they, she looked a bit Chinesey. So I got bullied in school because in school I didn't fit in. Um, so it was them days, it was either you're Asian, you're black or white. There was no European. There was no other um, multicultural people. And I didn't fit in any of them. So I was isolated. I was by myself. But I didn't mind because I liked going to school just to escape my home life. Yeah. You know, but um, it's because of what happened to me as a child is what tolerated me to be the person I was in my adult life. So did you have to, when you've been sexually abused by these yeah. family members did you still have to see them after I, yeah that's what I called the book why I love my abuser because we still sit with them the next morning and have breakfast with them and they still smile at you 
and they still like say, oh, how are you? How's everything? Oh, my niece, this and that. And they act so normal, like nothing's happened. What, what, so what would they do? Just creep into your room? Yeah, so this is what I have work? a cat fear. It's like when people come behind me, I scream my head off because they come behind you. They're creepers. They come behind you, honestly. And I still have that fear with me because if you came behind me and said, hi, Resna, I would literally scream this room down. They, it's, it's, um, you know what it is? It's a manipulation. They will, they would like say, oh, hello. Oh, you're so beautiful. They will cuddle you. And the worst thing is they cuddle you, but at the same time, they touch your breast, but you don't have no breast because you're a child. Mm. You, there's no breast when you're five, six, seven, eight, nine, but they, they grab you and they're like, oh, my darling, you know, it, it's, it's really, it's an evil behaviour. Would you, would you too scared to say no or were you, would you because when, to get when off you? Because when you go to an adult, the person that's meant to protect you and you mm. tell them and they don't protect you, you don't have no power. Or faith. You have no faith. You have nothing left because you think, what am I going to do now? Because they're all like really tall and big people and you're this little person there. Powerless. You're powerless. Yeah. And then my mum wasn't exactly that great. She was like always putting me down. So I felt worthless already. You know, as a child, I was like really, really worthless. But I didn't start hating my mum. I actually started hating myself. So for me, I just tolerate. I just went, that's it. It's done. And just close your eyes. Just close your eyes. Yeah. But it's like, I know there's a lot of other things happen, but it's like I don't go into it too much. Because it's too painful. It's too painful. And I think I've been through so much and I've been through so much healing. And I think I can't do this healing anymore. Um, do you think as well it's because you're a mum? So you, yeah. yeah and it make, it's just like, how did that yeah. happen to that little girl? yeah. Because I was so protective of my son and daughter. Mm. I lied to them quite a lot. I said, you can't have no sleepovers. It's not in our culture. Yeah. You can't do it because I would not allow them to have sleepovers at all um, because I kept thinking something's going to happen to them. And when my son was young, I had an open conversation with him and I said, when you go somewhere, anybody's house, nobody's allowed to put the hand on your bum. Nobody, I told my daughter, nobody's allowed to hug you, squeeze you, um, especially a male. I don't want them touching you. So... I did do a lot of um, moulding on them because I thought it's going to happen to them because there's no way I'm going to allow that to happen it, to does them. Does that happen quite a lot in your community? Do you know what it is? A lot of people ask me that, but because I go to a lot of different events and it happens in every community. And I always say it's not a religion, it's not a culture, it's not a gender, it's, it's not an age, it's just individuals that behave like that because... When you go to, when I go to events in Tower Hamlets and it's all Bengali ladies, they would tell you all the stuff. And you'd think it's only a Bengali thing and it's not. But when you go somewhere like Croydon and you listen to their story and then you go to another area, another South London or West London, because I go to a lot of different events, whether it's black, white, Asian, I don't care. I'm there, whether it's two people, 10 people, 1,000 people, I'm going to raise awareness on sexual abuse, on any abuse. It happens in every culture. I know people from Europe who've been for the same thing. Did you ever tell your dad? Um, do you know what it is? I didn't have the courage to, because I ran away from home when I was 15 because I couldn't take it anymore because so many other things happened and they wanted me to get married. So and, this is what I wanted to talk yeah. about. So um, if you don't mind going into so no. at 14, yeah. um, you came home one day and there was a guy in your front room yeah. 
do you want to explain to everyone what happened next? Yeah, so when I was 14, I came home. And remember, I was a very, very naive child. I was very numb. So I didn't used to speak much like I'm speaking now. Um, I was very quiet. And um, I came home and there was this guy and I was like, oh, you know, what's going on here? Because I sort of sensed something. I was very intuitive. So I sort of knew things are going to happen. It's like the the guys that have abused me. When I saw them, I knew straight away they're up he, to it. From their face, I knew they're going to attack me. You could read me. them. I could read them. I knew they were going to attack me. And I would try to escape them as much as possible. But they get you at the end. But yeah, that day when I came, I was like, what the hell? I'm almost like, oh, we're going to get you engaged. I said, engaged as in what engaged? Because that time I didn't understand men and women, what they need to do. Yeah. You know, because I had a very isolated upbringing. And so, experience of sex compared to normal people. Uh, we weren't allowed to be friends with our cousin brother, you know. So what? What? I went to an all-girls school, you know, and I didn't have many friends. So we never spoke about boys. So I was like, what do you mean engaged? And she goes, oh, you're going to get married to this man. And I said, mum, he's so big and old. And I was How 14. How old do you he was? He was 36. And you were how old? I was 14. And then, Did they know he was 36? Yeah, yeah? but okay. ba- basically they were following more of the culture. And she was like, no, this man's really good for you. You don't know what's going to happen, blah, 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 and all that stuff. And it started off from then and it just went on until... This person actually raped me when I was 14 and a half. And um, so he asked to take your hand in marriage. Yeah. I said no. um, And I sort of kind of did something mischievous, which was was out of my character. I knew that he didn't have a visa. So I called the police on him. He got arrested and got sent back to Bangladesh. To Bangladesh. But then my mum and dad tricked me and they said, We're taking you to see your grandmother. She's really, really ill. And but left uh, all the others behind. Yeah. And so what my dad did, um, he jumped on the plane with me and I thought it was real. So didn't think there was anything else happening. And then um went to the airport and to the shock of my life, my I felt like there was a if there was a big hole I could got he was standing in front of me. So they shipped you to Bangladesh at yeah. 14 to be married yeah. and left with this man. Yeah. And they took me to his house. And I well, had... just frozen with I, fear? Frozen is like, oh my God. If there ever I believed in angels, I really wanted them to come and fly me away. Because I was stuck in a country with no rules, don't speak English. I was under my dad's authority... And uh, I don't know anything there. I don't know how to travel there. I don't know where the embassy is. I don't know anything. So powerless. I'm go- I'm I'm a dead woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that time I used to sit on the like on the porch and I used to say, "Angels, if you guys ever exist, you really need to come." To-. Because this is how I lost. I was. I literally used to say, think that they're going to come and fly me away, because there's nothing else I can do, and then constantly because I kept saying no that I don't to having sex with him yeah Yeah. I used to say no so where's your dad is he still at the house he's still in the house because they like have like really big houses so it's like one end to another end so my dad was in the one end and I was in the other end um with the guy was there his mum was there and then constantly every day like he would try it on but that time I didn't understand what trying on was and I was like oh get away you know you know all this stuff and that and then my dad would actually beat me up every day in secret. And he would say, you're not listening. You're not doing what you're t- meant to do. And and that time I gave up. I said, you know what? 
I'm just going to die here because there's no way I'm going to be with this man that I'm not feeling anything. I don't know anything about sex. I'm not having no sexual feelings, you know. And I said, and I thought, you know what, my dad, I said, he can beat me up every single day. I'm going to take it, but there's no way I'm going to get in that bed and be with that man. And what did your dad say back to that? And he just used to keep, like, he used to see me around the house, find me and just punch my head or punch my face or pull me by the hair or grab me by the throat and headbutt me, you know, things like that. Um, and I just took it and I used to just put, move out the room, go into the next room and just put a blank face on and I just carried on. And I thought, the, the more he did that, the more I went against it. You know, I thought, you know what, you're going to fight me, but I'm going to fight you in a different way. And I just, and then one day his mum came and he goes, I can't see this girl get beaten up like this. Oh, the guy said that. The guy's mum said that. But by then he already raped me. So what happened one day, um, yeah, one day he sort of grabbed me and he raped me. And I screamed for help and nobody came to help. They knew what was happening. They though. knew what was happening. And then f the next day, I think the mum felt sorry. She came to my dad and she said, you need to take your daughter. I'm not having this here. You need to take your daughter. And my dad then took me out and we went to, he took me to a hotel in the town in Bangladesh. And for three days, he beat me up nonstop. He beat you up so badly that the yeah. the, the hotel asked you to leave. Yeah. Because the noise was so bad. Too bad, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... Yeah. Um, and then... Um, so then your mum comes? Then my mum comes, does a bit more emotional blackmail. She's heavily pregnant. She complains that I'm letting the family down. She's like, she does all this praying, bangs her head on the floor, saying that she's going to die. All that stuff. And you know what? By then I thought, I've had it all. What else are you going to do? Poison me and kill me. You'd probably rather that at this I'd point. I'd rather that than anything else. And, and I just kept praying every day and I kept saying, angels. I had this big belief in angels, even though I didn't, brought, I wasn't brought this up. This is what I'm to ask you. So you brought up Muslim. I brought up Muslim. I was had the teaching from the imams. Yeah. Read the Quran. Never, ever mentioned the word angel. Can't where talk. did this come from? It came from inside of me from somewhere I don't know Just where. being a child because you spoke about it when you were five, like obviously being downstairs. Yeah. And I used to see orbs and silver things and I don't know. It's just like, and I kept praying. I said, angels, you really need to help me. I, it's like they were like a little bit of a saviour for me, knowing that something's going to come and help me. I think they gave me that hope, knowing that the angels are going to come and help me. There's something there. You know, I, I don't know where it came from. It just came to so me. So did you, when you obviously grew up Muslim, were mm. you, was, that obviously wasn't out of choice. But no. did you practice? Or? I did practice what I was told to practice. So I was told to read Quran every day. I was told to pray as much as I can five times a day whenever I can. And we always had um, Imam come to our house every day, teach us for two hours. But I did all that for my mum and dad, but I had my own Spiritual journey. Spiritual journey from a very young age. And I was like connecting, but I was also experiencing, but I didn't understand it because I had nobody else to talk to because my whole environment, community was Muslim. All Muslim. You know, the, you dare say them days, the word oh my angel. Gosh. I, like my mom, you know what? One time I said something to the imam and he went to my mom and he said, oh, your daughter asked me this, your daughter's the devil's daughter. My mum took a shoe off and bloody beat the crap out of me. 
how dare you ask? I said, Mum, we like to ask if she goes, no, you don't, you dare ever. And she literally got a razor blade and bloody nearly tried to cut my lips saying you should never say anything against the religion. And I said, I only asked a question. And the more I said to her, I only asked a question, the more angry she got. So what did you ask? I, don't, I can't remember what I asked. That's it. I think I asked, you know, like we have... In Saudi Arabia, they have the, um, the I don't know, what's that called? I forgot. The black um, covered box where they called God's house. Okay. And I said to the imam, if it's God's Allah's house, does Allah live in that house? Yeah. That's all I asked. And even I told my, my mom, was like, this, she goes, this one's the devil's child. And I'm thinking, but you're the mother, so yeah. are you the devil? Yeah. But, you know, I used to have these thoughts, but I never would speak out. Would you and your siblings talk about the faith or were you too scared? No, I wouldn't speak to them about the faith, no. Because because we were really young, remember? We were like, if I was six, my brother would be five. If I was seven, my brother would be six. And the other sister would be five. It was like one, four of us were one year, all one year after, one year after. So it's something I did in secret. It's really unusual because I did it in secret. Um, then I developed an eating disorder. And I did that in secret for many years as well. So I was like a very secretive person in my own self. And I think it was my coping mechanism because I knew there was no escape. I knew I'm not going to get no help because the people that are meant to protect me don't care. Where am I going to go? You know, so I just had these little coping. So do you think that the eating mechanism was a way of getting, um, eating disorder yeah. was a way of getting control of yeah, your life? Because it it's the only thing that you could yeah. control. So it was it was like I can go to the kitchen. I know it's really bizarre, but it's not. It's not. It's like I can go to the kitchen and I can get as much food as I like and I can eat it and I can throw it up. I can control my throat. You yeah, know, it's I, all you've got. It's all I've got. And not being rude, I don't want to be insensitive. Someone's not shoving something in my throat. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, it's you've like got a choice. Yeah. Not control. It's my control. It's my choice. And I would do that every one day. Really? Yeah, and my mum used to think, where's all the food going? You know, like she used to cook quite a lot of food. She used to think, I just cooked a big pot of curry and half of it's gone. Yeah. And now when I think of it, I used to think, how did I eat all that food? Yeah. I used to really eat it in secret. And it was like my time in the bathroom. I used to eat all this food in the bathroom, like coffee, 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 and wash the plate quickly and then put my straight away, my straight away, because I didn't want it to stay in me. And then like vomit it out, put a bit of Domestos bleach around the toilet, flush the toilet and then go as like as nothing's happened. Yeah, because it's the one bit of your life. That's the only thing I had. I had even the way I was dressed, the way I had to do my hair, everything was down to control, you know. So that was the only thing that I You had. can see how people end up with an outlet like that. Oh, though. definitely, definitely. So you come back from Bangladesh yeah. and then what happens next? So I come back from Bangladesh and I actually had enough because when I came back the first day, uh, my dad sent me with another person from the airport on my own and I come back and I come on the bus 25 all the way from Oxford Street to Forest Gate and I remember knocking on the door and I looked through the door and my mum was coming down the, the door and she was like, oh, my gosh, she's back. Who sent her back? And my heart just dropped. And I was like, my mum's saying that. She doesn't want me. So I've always been neglected from very young age and I'm still being neglected. You know, the only thing I can do is start hating myself. Yeah, because so you don't feel enough. And then I thought, you know what? I'm not going to stay here anymore. And literally within three months, I ran, I ran away from home. 
and I was 15 coming on yeah 15 15 and coming on to food and I just left I got um actually I got a little job in the petrol station and I met a Jehovah's Witness a lady a really really nice lady and I was I opened up to her and I told her everything that happened to me and I said you know what I really want to leave home she goes Resna you're really really young I said I need to leave home. I need to I need to run away. I can't take this anymore. And she said, Well, I know somebody's renting a room. And it was in Finchley Central. Right. And I said, Oh, can you please give me the number? In them days you don't have a mobile number yeah, yet. Yeah. So I used to go to the um office. Yeah, the postbox. No, I used to go to the office in my workplace yeah, yeah, when sorry. the manager was like secretly and I used to say, you know, I'm looking for a room. And he said, yeah, this and that. And I said, but you have to pick me up next week, this day, this time, because I knew I was going to be at work. You know, so I planned it. I don't know where all this planning 007 came to me from. Maybe the angels. Yeah, got yeah, knows. yeah, yeah. But I planned it and I thought, you know what? So I'm what gonna... did you go to work <sighs> with all your stuff? Nothing much. Just the clothes that I had on, my toothbrush and my face cream. That was it. I didn't take nothing because so I did left they a note. you were missing? No, I left a really big note for my mum and I wrote it in red. And the fact, the reason I wanted to write it in a red pen because I wanted them to know that I'm serious and um, I wrote it in red, I left them a note, and I went to work, and after work, obviously, I didn't come home, she got really worried, and she went in my room, and she found the note, and my mum can't read English or speak English, so she told my brother to read it, my brother read it, then one of my other cousin brother came, and actually, he was one of the abusers, and he read the letter, and he said, she's never coming back. What did it say? I explained to them what they've been doing to me, that they forced me to get married, they forced me to do this, do that. I got raped, they were never there for me. Um, I felt neglected um, and I felt alone. So I said, I'm going to be on my own. So yeah. you didn't have a number for them to ring you? On no, I didn't leave nothing and I moved to Finchley Central. Can you imagine from East, for a girl that's never been on the bus, don't know how to travel, I went all the way to Finchley Central. Right. And the next day I was um, off Ballard's Lane. There was a little park there opposite the house. The next day I got up and I went to the park and I sat there and I actually thanked the angels for saving me. And I used to go to that park every morning and say a little prayer, gratitude. Um, and I felt a relief. Even though I left my family and that's all I knew, I didn't know anything else, but I felt such a relief that I left and I was so lucky, the BP that I worked for part-time, they had another job and they transferred me to another BP in North London. And I told them, I'm leaving home. This is what's happened. Don't give my details to anybody, you know. But my, what my mum and dad, they did report me to the police saying that I'm missing. And after the police found me, I think it was after six months. Oh, that long? That long. But this is quite a while back, yeah, years yeah. ago. It's not all technology Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Now, now you've been found now in five minutes. Now yeah. Facebook, so-and-so yeah. missing, you know. And they came, the guy came looking for me and he knocked on my door and my heart jumped. I knew he found me. And um, so I was living with two Jehovah's Witnesses that time. And the lady, she said, um, whatever you've got to say to Reza, I'm going to listen. And he said, this is the situation. And I said, this is what's happened to me. And I'd, I'm not going back. And he said, well... If your parents take us to court, then we have to disclose the information where you are. I said, I don't think they're going to take you to court. And um, he left me his number. And after two weeks, he phoned me. He said, no, they didn't say they want to take us to court or anything like that. And then I just got on with my life. But the fact is, um, even then, I didn't know what has happened to me. 
But what I did realize is I combat my eating disorder um, because I knew I was I was Safe. it was that time it went it was it went mad it honestly went mad I literally used to sit with a large pizza two pieces of chicken and chips and I used to stuff the whole lot and I used to look at it and I used to think how did I eat that yeah and I got scared and I think I thought where is where is that going and I had a lot of illnesses that time because I had chronic fatigue I had IBS I had severe stomach problems um I was overweight um and everything was like it's like I felt it was, I was in control but everything in my mind and body it was out of control um I attempted suicide twice because I couldn't also cope not being with my family because that's all I knew my brothers and sisters I didn't know anything else and I was in a different environment now and I was young and I had to learn things and understand things and it was I told a friend of mine I said I keep eating this and doing this and you know I'm really like it's really affecting me psychologically I don't know what to do I don't know how to come out of this she goes you need to go and join the gym and I said what am I going to do in the gym I don't know how to use the gym she goes Resna come with me to the gym and she took me to Camden Town Gym the next morning and that was it as soon as I hit the gym I found another escapism that was healthy that was healthy and then when you go to the gym you meet other gym people yeah who talk about protein shakes and eating healthy chicken and salad and first time I went to a shop and I was like the, the one of the ladies said I'm gonna have a salad I was thinking what salad is she having you know yeah it's a salad I don't know what salad you're used is. to curries and things oh, yeah I was like what is a salad and I looked and I said oh, I'll have the same as you you know, and I, and I was like, I had a salad and it was so delicious and I started changing my life for my, my physically. Yeah. And I stopped my eating disorder, you know, slowly, slowly. It wasn't just like that. It was. A, yeah. And I think that's something we need to get across to people, like even this whole journey. And we'll go on to the next bit about yeah. your relationship. And I think it's really important what you say as well. Like when these things have happened, it's never been an overnight thing, no. you know, from the moment that you chose to leave your relationship yeah. left you said that was five years yeah. you know like, and I think it's really important what you just said there yeah. like it's a process and like people are I'm sure in those in that yeah. time you still went back and you were still oh, sick yeah. and you still did it and it did but it but it doesn't mean we're back but at you know square what it is? one when I went back and I used to do oh my god the food used to taste so nice like the food I was like Honestly, it's like it's like I've never had food in my life. I was like, stuff everything. And then I used to chuck it back out and I used to feel, why did I just do that? Mm. You know, but the good thing is when you start asking questions, you also start getting answers. It might take two months, three months, six months, but you do, your intuition kicks in and start giving you answers. Mm. You know, and I used to, I used to eat like, like, like and I used to, oh my God. What? And I used to feel so guilty and I used to go back to the gym and I used to like, be on the cycle for one hour out of guilt and then I think i got to stop doing that I, I can't carry on like this you know it's it's draining me because there were days I couldn't get out of bed no matter what because I was just drained mentally and physically I was drained but and I was really young that time and I was learning things on my own you know I didn't have a mentor I didn't have my guardians I didn't have nobody I was to living, show you yeah I was living with two Jehovah's Witnesses and absolutely amazing ladies but they just kept wanting me to get involved in, in their, their faith yeah in their faith so I was like trying to escape that you were trying to escape the whole cult thing anyway yeah. so, so then what happens next so next you know so I'm trying to get I sort of got to a really really good stage with my eating disorder I kind of got to a point where I didn't do it anymore 
but it did come back to me later on in life. But then I met um, the narcissist. The narc. So it's really the interesting. Narc. So I'm sure yeah. if you guys are going to want to copy this book, oh it's my called, God. we'll add a link to it. It's called um, Why I Love My Abuser. Um, but it's really interesting. So she opens up the book. Um, you refer to your abuser or your ex-husband as the narc, narc. short for narcissist, yeah. obviously. And um, you start the part of the mm. book with basically... Um, a couple of explanations yeah. on what like a narcissist may look like look, or the way yeah. it's so that people yeah. can identify. It's true. Because we have certain ideas about like what we think narcissistic yeah. behaviour like, but actually yeah. it there's it can have multi dimensions. But so you meet this guy mm. who we're gonna refer to as yeah, the narc, narc who's your ex husband. Yeah. You're blown away. Well, well, I was seventeen, he was eighteen, and you might think somebody's eighteen wouldn't have them traits, but they are highly manipulative, intelligent, sociopaths, I would call them. And it's true what you said when we say narcissist. We use it quite often to even, like, friends when we have arguments, say, oh, you've got narcissistic traits, you know, you're a narcissist. But when when you meet a real narcissist, trust me, you know. you know. They are absolutely crazy. The manipulation is mind-boggling. Even when you tell somebody this is what he's doing, they'll be like, no, you, you know, you're overthinking. You can't explain what they do to you because it's a psychological terror. The mind games, you can't explain because when you go to explain the mind games, if I, I, I went to my mum and I explained the mind games, she said, oh, what are you talking about? He just loves you. You know, they're... They're, they're hard to articulate and show... Very, do you know what I did some when I found out he was a narcissist, I did five years of research on narcissistic behavior and I studied so much online because I wanted to learn what I was dealing with because I was really, really worthless. I had no confidence. My belief, my character, everything was taken away. You're from the me. perfect victim for a narcissist. Because, because I'm an empath. Yeah, and you like you were saying, yeah. you were struggling with relationships with yeah. yourself. You yeah. were vulnerable, you felt yeah. powerless. So you become a puppet. I was a puppet. And he was your puppeteer. Honestly, so you're the perfect victim. Yeah, I was. He used to say, stand up, I would stand up literally. And if he says sit down, I would sit down. But what happened when I first met him, within two weeks, he took all the information about my past, my childhood, everything. And then from that, he started using it against me using it as an emotional blackmail, uh, mentally trying to torture me bit by bit. And then the physical violence came in. Now, the, when the physical violence came in, from that moment I went numb because then I went back in my childhood again. I went completely numb. And then he had, it didn't take long, I think it was about eight months, nine months, he had proper control over me. Because by then he already moved me into his house, mm. you know, and I was living with him and his family and he just... And then, you know, because I'm an empath, I had this... I used to, I mean, I still do. I like mothering people, looking after him, people. And I thought, you know what, the best is going to come out of him because when I first met him, he was such a lovely person and he understood me. But now I understand about abuse and I think we were both trauma bonding. Because he was telling me his past and I was telling him his past and I wanted to help him and be better and see the best in him. But I forgot about me because mm. he didn't want to see the best in me. 
He didn't want to be a positive person for me. He didn't want to love me or care about well, me. Well, it sounds like you've never really had the opportunity to know you either. No. So he's so, telling you what you were from yeah, the book. But, uh, it was it was a complete roller coaster. And I honestly now, you know, like now, I can't read my book because when I read my book, I literally cry because it lasted for so long and I feel so shit honestly, for allowing that to happen for so long. And it was 25 years and 25. And I feel like my half of my life is gone. But, and I think it's like what we've spoken about before, like that would have never have happened to you had you have not had the childhood no. or what you had. And I think it's a lot of this work that we do on this show as well. It's so important. Like, yeah. you know. It normalised it. Yeah. And as well, yeah. like, it's so important, like, especially the stuff that I've done as well, like from zero to seven, so much yeah. of our belief systems. Yeah. Are there, yeah. and, you know, and we, we thought, formulate them like you would, yeah. wouldn't have been like people would no. have gone to you like, how did you pop like that? Like you're the mad one. But if you've never had value yeah. on yourself or loved or yeah. accepted yourself, yeah. then of course you're going to tolerate you know certain things. He, the, the reason I wrote this book, right, when I left him, so many people came up to him. They goes, "Is it true? Did that really happen to? You? Why would you allow this to happen?" And I thought, you know what, I can't, because that time I couldn't even speak. I couldn't hold a sentence together. I was diagnosed with PTSD. Um, I was literally on a on a thread. You know, I couldn't go into my kitchen, cook. I used to think I want to burn the kitchen down. I had so much things going on in my head and I thought, I can't explain. I can't have a conversation. I can't tell people what happened. So I'm going to put it in a book. But even recently, women, and it upsets me that women do this. And I, it's not their fault. And I, I just think that women should have a bit more understanding because they're like feminine and emotional. Yeah. And even when, especially when women come up to and say, oh, 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 that would never happen to me. If that happened to me, oh, I would sort them yeah, out. Yeah, I'd never put up oh, with that shit. I would shit. never put up with that shit. Oh, I'm savage. I'm this and I'm that. And I'm like, but you haven't been in that situation. Yeah, and you haven't had what's happened to you. You haven't, yeah. But my therapist, when we first started this, um, it was me and my therapist. We'd done an episode on like... You know, a lot of these self-development stuff. Yeah. Like, you've got to love yourself. You've got to manifest what you think you're worthy yeah. of. Like, like, And we had this conversation as well, like children in care, children of trauma, if you've not been shown a healthy yeah. relationship, and I don't even mean that in terms of parents interacting, yeah. but like what it's like to love yourself. Yeah. And that sounds so grotesque and yeah. so far removed when we're talking yeah. about like young children. But if you don't feel yeah. one bit worthy, then you're going to take stuff because yeah. that's where you believe your level yeah, of worth is. That's where the plant is seeded. Yeah. Because with me, from very young age, I was always told I'm ugly, um, my mum always used to say to me, oh, you're so dark. No one's ever going to marry you. What are we going to do? She used to hide me in the house when relatives used to come. She used to say, oh, that's... Uh, she never used to say, that's my daughter. So what happened? I didn't stop loving my mum. I stopped loving myself and I started hating myself. I felt so worthless and that I shouldn't even exist in this world. And when you grow up with that and then you meet a narcissist, and he's giving you a bit of attention and you think, oh, this person really loves me. But he doesn't because he's he's like up there. He thinks he's a master of everybody. And you should be grateful. And I should be grateful. And he used to tell me every day, you should be grateful that I'm with you because no man would ever have you. You're lucky I've got you. All the women out there dying for me. And you believe it. I actually did believe it. But it got to a point where I actually didn't want to be with him anymore, but he used to manipulate me to keep me there. Because who else is going to take you? Because You'll he be used left to for dead. emotionally blackmail me. He used to, like, torture me throughout the whole day. He used to not leave my sight. 24 hours a day, he would be with me. 
I couldn't leave the house. He used to always take me everywhere in the car. I could, even if I went shopping, he used to take me in the car and park outside the car to see if I'm smiling at anybody. Literally, like, it got to a point after many years, he didn't need to say nothing to me. I used to look at his face and I knew what he wanted me to do and I would do it. And I think... And I think it's in certain religious communities as well. People are like, oh, how can you get raped by your husband? Do you know what? It's not just religious. I had a young girl ask me um, two years ago. She read my book. Uh, I think she was 16. And she came up to me and she goes, oh, auntie, you know, you said you got raped by um, um, your kid's dad. How can that happen? Because you're his property. Because you're his, you're the wife. Yeah. You're the girlfriend. Oh, you're in a relationship. And I sat her down. I said, when somebody is forcing to record you naked without your consent, that is sexual abuse. When somebody is manipulating you for one day, two days, trying to get you in bed and you're saying you don't want to sleep with them and they're forcing you to have sex with them with manipulation, that is rape. When somebody is using, because he used spiritual abuse on me as well by saying the, the spirits are going to come and take me away if I don't do certain things. And, um, you know, but it was like a slow, slow process. And he would show me things to make me, it was gaslighting, show me things to believe that I was in the wrong and I'm thinking wrong and he's the right one, you know. And so this happened many, many times where he'd forcefully have sex with me and I would literally close my eyes and just lay take there. It. And I used to say, no, I don't want to do this. I'm not interested in this. I said, I'm not feeling. I said, since the morning, you've constantly been abusing me, saying bad stuff to me. Why do you want to sleep with me? If I'm this person. If I'm this bad person, if I'm this ugly person, if I'm this and that, why do you want to, I don't want to sleep with you. And then he would get really angry and he would get really aggressive and he would like pull me and be aggressive and push me towards the bed and stuff like that. And then I would just give up because if I didn't, then it's a vicious cycle. More then I get more abuse. And then, I, you know, the violence coming or he'll walk past and just spit on my face or like like grab my throat. And I, it would remind me of my childhood, what my dad was doing. So I just used to do it and just get so it over familiar. and done So like a lot of people, like you were saying, yeah. and like those women were yeah. like, how would you do that? Yeah. But like if you're familiar with this behaviour, yeah. it, 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 it's... And, it, subconsciously becomes acceptable. And I think acceptable. a lot of people don't understand psychological fear. It's like having a gun, but there's no gun there. Yeah. You know, because he was living in my house. This was my house. And he was abusing me in my own house in front of my kids. And they grew up watching this. And I was thinking, and one of my friends said to me, Resna, he's living in your house and he's abusing you. If I can come inside your body, I would call the police and get him out of that house. I said, I don't, I can't, I don't know what to do. I literally could... I was like a magnet. I literally used to go to the front door, right? And I used to test myself and I used to put my foot there. And I used to say, why can't I move my feet one foot more and leave this house? Why can't I leave this door? Because the psychological terror was there pulling me back. Like what he's going to do to me, you know, how he's going to behave. And he used to sort of like threaten me and say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that or this and that. So then you had, you had when you had your children, it became a lot more psychological, so, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, when I had my, my son, it carried on with the violence. But when I had my daughter, for some reason, the violence stopped. So in 2005, when my daughter was born, the violence stopped and it was just severe control. That's when the gaslighting came in. That's when the spiritual abuse came in. I think it was a way of him just controlling me, keeping me in the house. So I don't speak to anybody. I was isolated from 
the school because apparently everybody gossips in the school playground. I think he was scared that I'm going to find that information from the other mums. So I was isolated from the school, from my family. I didn't see my family for about 10 years and they literally lived down the road, mm. you know. But um, because I was so scared and it's because I tolerated abuse as a child, I thought it was normal and I'm just going to cope with it. And I just kept praying every day. I kept lighting candles and praying to the angels and saying... How did you get out in the end? The end was when he physically... I know, but we're going (laughs) to... Yeah, the end was... um, I don't want to ruin too much for people. Because at that time, I think my daughter was 11 um, and we were in the living room and I don't know where this voice came from, honestly, in me because I didn't speak them days. And he attacked, he was shouting and screaming and he was like saying, oh, you're this and you're that, your family are shit, you know, your family want to manipulate you, they want to take you away from me and you're going to kill me and I'm going to, my brain's going to explode and it's going to be your fault and all that. And I said to him, he was really aggressive and shouting and going up and down and doing all this yo-yo-yo stuff. And I just said it in a, I don't know where this voice came from, I said, why are you always angry? I said, you're always angry and you're always complaining. And he lost it. He grabbed me, physically attacked me. My daughter started, that was the first time she saw me get attacked and she started screaming. And she grabbed her dad and she said, Daddy, please don't hurt my mum. And honestly, when I heard them words, I literally, I felt naked. I felt I was so worthless as a person that my daughter has to witness this. And she grabbed him. And she was trying to fight him. And I was thinking that 11 year olds trying to do that for me. What the hell am I doing? And I felt like something literally came inside of me that this like a force came in me. I don't know what happened. I went to the back door and I started punching the glass, trying to go through. I thought if I punch the glass, I can walk through this glass. And next thing I know, I fainted um, and I woke up in my son's arm. Apparently he heard a lot of screaming from outside and he came in. And he picked me up and he said, what are you doing? What are you doing um, to the dad? And my son was 17. My daughter was crying and he was recording me with his phone. And my son was like, why are you recording for what you're doing? And he goes, I'm keeping evidence. When she says it's my fault, I'm going to show them what I have to put up with and what I have to deal with. And then I I just kept. You know, that time I was reflecting on a lot of stuff that was going on in that room. I was watching my son. I was watching my daughter. I was watching him. Living out a body experience. I was, and it was the first time I felt I was aware of of my situation. And as soon as my, I, I then I had a panic attack and he wouldn't call the ambulance. And it was for about 40 minutes because that by then I had severe panic attacks every other week out of fear. Um, so when I came round, I had like a lot of froth around my hand, my face, my hands and my feet were all like this, my arm, all that. And when I got back together, got myself together, I don't know what happened. I literally grabbed my bag and I swore at him. I said, you fucking get out of my house. This is my house and you ain't fucking treating me like this anymore. I'm going to call the police. And he looked at me and I literally walked from one end to the other end of the room, grabbed my bag and I left the house. And I kept turning, I kept going like this thinking... Waiting for him to jump on you. I, I'm waiting for him to come behind me and grab me. And my daughter's holding my hand, my son's holding my hand. And we're literally walking down, going to the bus stop. And the bus stop is eight minutes away in the main road. And if I can get on that bus, I'm going to be outside my dad's house because my dad lives on the main road. 
and my heart's jumping, I'm sweating, I'm thinking he's coming behind me. Angels, please save me, fly me away, he's coming. He didn't come behind me. And Romford Road is a really, really busy road. Literally, I went there and the bus was there. I got on the bus and I went to my dad's as he lives on the main road. I got off, got off the bus, knocked on my dad's door and he saw me and he hasn't seen me for about six years, seven years. And he said, come in, I know what's happened. And you know what my dad did? He took the phone. I didn't need to explain nothing to him. He dialed the police and he can't even speak English, my poor dad. He said... Police, help my daughter. <laughs> oh, bless. Oh, don't, it's enough to make me cry. He, he can't speak English. Oh. And and then my mum was swearing. I was like, why are you doing that for? She needs to go back to her husband. You're going to ruin this family. And my dad swore at her in Bengali, like a bitch word, and saying, shut your mouth and sit down. And my mum just sat down because he was, like, really angry. And he said to me, good, you left the devil you don't need to think about nothing. You've got a room here. I would look after you and um, you're going to be okay. And because he couldn't speak English properly, he gave the phone to me and the police said, what's happening? I said, I don't know how to explain to you. You're not going to believe me, but I've been in an abusive relationship. And he said, give us the address, we'll be there. And I didn't say nothing else to them because I thought, what am I going to say to them? They're Where do gonna, I start? Where do I start? They're not going to believe me because I was always told the police ain't going to believe you. And yeah, I yeah. thought they're not going to believe me. And what am I going to say? How many stories am I going to tell? I don't know what to say to them. And that's why I said to them, you're not going to believe me, but I don't know what to say. They go, just stay there. We're going to be there. They came literally within an hour to my dad's house. And I've got to say this. I know a lot of people say a lot of bad stuff about the police, but I literally think that day... God sent two angels to me as police officers because they went out of the way to help me and they sat down and the guy said to me, so what's been happening? Then I said, I don't know what to say to you. I don't know how many stories to tell you. But basically I got attacked today in front of my daughter and obviously he can see my daughter's um, upset. And he said, well, whose house is it? I said, it's my house. He said, well you need to go back to us. I said, I can't, I don't want the yeah, house. Of course. I said, I don't want the house. I don't want nothing to do. He goes, he goes, Resna, we're going to go and arrest him. Then we're going to come back. You're going to go. We're going to put you in your house with your kids where you're going to be safe. It's your house. You belong there. He's not going to be allowed to come there. I said, but he's going to come. He's, they goes, it's your house. So what they did, they went and arrested him. Then they came back. And took my keys, went and checked the house was okay because I was in so I kept thinking he's gonna do something yeah, to me. Of course. He's gonna send the spirits in and the spirits are gonna do some stuff to me. I'm gonna burn in the house or something. They checked the house, they came back, they took me in the car, they took me to my house with my daughter, and they said, You're gonna be safe here. If anything, ring us, blah, blah, blah. And it, then the officer said, I understand you because my mom went through the same thing. And this is what I do understand you and you don't need to tell me everything. But what do you think he's going to say? I said, he's really, really manipulative. He's going to manipulate everything. And he's going to say to you that because of my childhood, he's been going through hell. Because when ambulance used to come, he used to tell them, oh, she got raped when she was young or she was abused. That's why she's like that. And the ambulance used to say, you really need to sort this out. And they reported me to my doctor and the doctors to call me, you know, but what happened, and then he, the officer phoned me the next day and he said to me, yeah, that's what exactly what he said. And he showed us your recording. You're acting like a maniac. Apparently you're mentally ill, blah, blah, blah. 
And I said, I don't know what to do. Is he going to come back to the house? And he said, no, because we're going to get a non-molestation order for four months. But you need to continue that afterwards because we can only get like four months. I think he was saying that time. But they understood me and they, honestly to God, they helped me so much. And um, after that, he stalked me. He stalked me for about a year. He stalked me. He got into my messenger. He got into my, we had a CCTV. He yeah. was following on the CCTV, got into my computer. Um, honestly, he, he, and I reported him again to the police. But that time the police said, one more stalking and you're going to prison for three years. And he took it serious and he stopped. If you could say something mm. to anyone that's listening and going through yeah. trying to leave but can't, what would you say to them? It's really, really hard. But if you find the strength and the courage and you find a good friend or a good family member or somebody you can talk to, please confide in them because you don't know what's going to happen to you. At least somebody will know your story. It is hard. It's harder than having childbirth, honestly. It is so hard. Leaving an abuser is one of the hardest things you can do, but you can do it. Once you start believing you can do it, once you start getting the strength you can do it, you can do it. And there is a lot of help out there. Honest to God, there is. I knew there was a lot of help out there, but I couldn't reach out because of my fear. But one thing I did have, I had my sisters and we were secretly, it can be done. Honest to God, it can be done. Did you ever think you'd find joy again? No, because when I left him, I was diagnosed with PTSD. I was in a really bad place because I, when I was with him, I tried to commit suicide twice, but because of my daughter, I didn't. Um, so when I left him, it was, I just wanted to burn my kitchen down. I had this fear that if I don't burn the kitchen down, he's going to come back. You know why? Because I used to do a lot of cooking there. I used to cook for him three times a day, twice a day. And there was something about the kitchen that really annoyed me. For one year, I couldn't go in my kitchen. My daughter was 13. She took over the cooking for the house. She was literally cooking for us. Because I suppose us. you almost felt like a slave in there. I was a slave that in there. That was your cage? Yeah. I hated that kitchen. I, I literally should just quickly go in there, make a cup of tea and come back out. I couldn't do nothing in that kitchen. I was diagnosed with PTSD. Um, I went really, really strict with my healing. And what um, did that look like? Oh, my God. That, do you know what? In the beginning, it was so scary. Healing is so scary, but at at the same time, it's so empowering, it's so powerful, it's so joyful, it's so amazing. In the beginning, it's scary because I had to accept what's happened to me and I had to also take some responsibility of myself. I had to work on myself. I had to go back in my childhood and understand what happened to me in order to become the person I did. A lot of the memories were not good. Um, I felt betrayed by my mum especially I felt I was let down, neglected, I was unloved, um, I was constantly put down, I was constantly told I'm so ugly. All these things made me a shit person, to be honest. I felt so shit. So when that time came for my healing, oh my God, so I was, I was literally meditating every day for two hours. I was praying every day. I was lighting candles every day. I was like... The candles comes up a few times. And I'm in the obsessed book. with candles. Yeah. Yeah, I, because that's where I found my connection 
with angels when I used to light my candle. I used to think so everything weird. comes alive. So weird, after reading your book yeah. and I, I wrote, I've watched... <laughs> Anyone needs to imagine this. My toilet's there and the candle's there and it's dark. <laughs> and I just, it's so captivating. Yeah, it's captivating. Isn't it? It's almost, and then you can, I almost like imagined being like all these different places. Like, am I over a campfire? Am I over this? And like, yeah. there's something so, so healing in that. There it is. is, because when you light your candle, so I do energy healing candles now. When you light your candle, that is a start of your connecting. Honest wow. to God, it is. And you're healing your home. You're healing yourself. You're healing your Something kids. about light though, isn't it? Because, um, I always like candles in the evening yeah. and, that, and it just sets on I do. As soon as I wake up, the candle's lit. Oh, in the day as well, Oh, my yeah. God. First thing in the morning, I want to remove all negative energy from my home and I want to bring positive light into my house. As soon as I wake up, I have one in the stairs and one in, in I have a healing room. I put, oh, I've got so many candles. So, so for someone that's going to start on their healing journey, listen, they might not have been domestically no. abused like this. Yeah. Where, where, what, what would you say Do to you know people? What it is? Or there's, people that were brought up in your yeah, communities that are too scared to speak out. And Honestly, there's five, six things you need to start when you're starting your healing journey. And these are so, so important. And I first didn't understand. I thought, yeah, what? I love myself. What are you saying? I don't love myself. Of course I love myself. It's me. Why would I not love myself? But there's a few things. Um, you have to start praying and meditating. And praying means you don't have to go on a mat or you don't really have to go to a church. You can pray within yourself, right? A lot of people say to me, well, how many times do you pray? I said, I pray literally 24 hours a day. Every time my mind is empty, I'm praying, I'm manifesting. You know, you need to start meditating to calm your brain down, You start, which will allow you to connect with yourself align with yourself you need to start praying you need to spend time with yourself right you need to start dating yourself you need to go to a coffee shop and sit there enjoy a cup of coffee with yourself because if you don't know how to do that you won't know how to do with the next person you need to date yourself I used to go cinema once a week um, view cinema 6.99 wow. I used to go and have coffee by myself I used to go and have a meal by myself I joined the gym the first week I left abusive relationship and I used to go four times a week because the more I sweated I felt I was getting the toxic behavior out of my muscle now you don't have to go to the gym and do like weights you can find yoga you can find swimming you can find you have to do try and do a sport you have to get it out of your system you have to surround yourself and this is what happens when you grow you lose a lot of people because they're not growing with you so you have to start spending time with good people, positive people, positive family and friends who want to see the best in you, who want to build with you and you want to build with them, not put you down because you've had that shit already. Why you want to be there again? Mm. And another thing is a lot of people um, I've come across when they leave this type of relationship, they think if they meet somebody else and fall into someone else's arm, that person's going to pull them through or help them. That's wrong. You don't. No you, one's going to save you, but no you. one's going to save you. Uh, going out with another man or a woman is not the answer because you have to heal from what you've just been through in order to be ready for your next person. And another thing that's really important: sharing energy. You cannot be. I know a lot of people got off the rails and start drinking, taking drugs because it's really traumatizing, and you want to escape, and they like sleep around. Lo lo these are the things you can't do. You can't be drinking excessively because you're attracting negative thoughts, negative energy. You've got to you, protect your energy. You've got to protect your energy. You can't be letting just any Tom, Dick and Harry in your life. Trust me, that's not going to work. That's going to make it worse. 
because you're bringing other energies into your energy that you haven't already fixed your energy. Yeah, 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 of course. You know? So it's got anything that comes in yeah. has to be lifting this yeah. up. Literally, my healing um, um, uh, journey, I literally lived like a monk for five, six years. And I did used to go out, don't get me wrong. I was in dirty martinis every <laughs> once a month. Yeah. But that was my escapism. Yes, of I used to go out to get away from the kids. Yeah, you know? and you're human. And I used to go there and like before the Jubilee line used to close, me and my friend used to jump on the train, get a kebab and come home, oh. you know. And my daughter was like, the mum, she was like, where you been? Open your mouth. Have you been drinking? <laughs> I was like, oh my God, leave me alone. <laughs> but, you know, you, you, you got to do some sort of healing no matter what because when you jump in, in another relationship, it's not going to work. You're just going to build more trauma in your own mind and body. Um, I feel like we need a part two. Oh, because <laughs> I um, do go on about healing too much. Yeah, I no, love it. I love yeah, healing. Yeah, but I think this is like your story, but yeah. I think like what all the stuff we've just spoke about there, it'd be, I think, I, that's what I thought. I thought, I, what do you mean these last pages are empty? I was yeah. like ready for more. Yeah. So for anyone that's interested in Resina's book it's on Amazon it's isn't on it Amazon so I'm going to attach a link yeah. so it's why I love my abuser but honestly um oh. so this I love this bit it was the back brace yourself the journey of pain and triple life tribulation begins but out of darkness comes the light and it I think does. that's exactly it it does thank you you're welcome thank you for having me there's something in that bag for you oh thank you and I've got you my energy ah! healing candle no way which I make myself so where can we get these so these I sell through my Instagram okay so yeah. I'm going to take you on it yeah. when we put it all so, up <gasps> I want you to light it are they all the same or are they do you so all I only do three um, scented very lightly because when we when we we use healing candles we don't want the scent to overcome what we feel is there any particular scent you put so on? i do um juicy mm. orange uh, zesty lemon and cinnamon and oh, i think wow. you've got um lemon is it lemon is it could have a bit of orange i don't know oh, it might be a juicy orange it's unbelievable but it's very Everyone lightly can these? Can yeah. we go and it's uh, slightly scented because i don't want the smell to overpower when you're meditating or relaxing oh my god they're amazing yeah, so how do I, you make these i make them from home from scratch i put my energy healing onto the wax then i put it on there i say a prayer boom i love it yeah. okay so can we uh, this we put this on your page yeah yeah amazing yeah but what's in yours oh, come on it's it. like oh. christmas Oh. They're getting their Christmas. Come on the show. <laughs> All right. No way. Oh, do you like You've it? made me captain of the ship now. Oh, yeah, look. Because everyone's trying oh to get there, don't God. they? But it's, you're already there. Well, I do still have lots of triggers no, here we, and there, but I work on human. them. Oh, my God. This is amazing. Oh, Thank you, you like so, it. so much. You're welcome.